and your mother messaged me. Oh, really? Should I open it? Yeah. She did listen oh, yeah, to the podcast. She's so sweet. Today. Yeah, she said something. She said, OMG, you guys, so many exclamation marks. I love Lisa. <laughs> she's so cute. What'd she, she do? Said, she goes, OMG, four exclamation marks. You guys did great. Two exclamation marks. I really <laughs> loved it. Two more. I left really hard at the pasta comment. <laughs> Whose cat cried? Mayor Luna. I love it. That's so fun. I love that you texting my mom. She's like, they'll talk about it on the podcast. I've been in every single podcast so far. Oh, shout out to Lisa. Here's our weekly shout out to Lisa. <laughs> Welcome to our third week of Why My Parents Worry About Me. This is Mona. And this is Taylor. Cannot believe that we're on our third week. I know. It's crazy that it's week three. Like, it's already week three, but it's felt like such a long process at the same time. I totally agree. And honestly, I feel like our audio and our ability to do this keeps getting better and better. What do you think? I agree. I feel a lot more confident going into this. And also, audio has been something that we've already tweaked a little bit and we're going to continue to tweak until we find kind of the right situation for us. But I do feel more normal talking to you through kind of the technical aspects of creating a podcast. So yeah, I definitely feel a lot better. It's just, we do spend like two hours before recording, just talking and I don't know, maybe we should get that under wraps. (laughs) We do that. And then we do it for like two hours afterwards, but it's like not related to anything. (laughs) <laughs> we have no clear conversation. It's just ongoing sentences that don't make sense. Have you ever heard that, like, women have pasta brains? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Hmm, that's because we, we have to talk about this, that, 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 this. There's, like, no rhyme or reason. I, like, always get in trouble for, like, talking about one thing and then going back to something that I talked about, like, three days ago and expecting everybody to realize what I'm talking about. But no one does. They're like, I wasn't even there. Why are you talking about this? And you're like, ooh, that's on my um, I'm like talking to myself, thinking that people are actually listening to me. It's just like a podcast. Essentially, because no one's listening to us. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Thanks, Hello, Mom. 10 friends. I appreciate you. <laughs> exactly. So talking about pasta, it does remind me of when we decided this podcast. And I know that we said last week that we were going to talk about it, so let's talk about it. Me and Mana often go on dinner dates whenever we can, and so we went to Olive Garden, which is my holy grail, my ride or die, and a lot of Americans' ride or dies. Yeah, it's American staple of Italian food, and if I said that to anyone Italian, they would actually be in physical pain. Yeah, they'd be mad. So uh, I am... But it's a good place for conversation and a nice little drink. So it's where we started talking and it was like at dinner when we were like, wait, you like crime and paranormal stuff and stories from different places. And you were like, same. Yeah. We left, we got in my car and then I mentioned that I had been on the radio that week, which was insane. Um, And they turned that radio segment into their podcast so I had shown you that. Did you you listened to it, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Because I remember yeah. what the story was. It was your wedding day, right? 
they were talking about like inconvenient times that you get locked out of your house and it was like seven o'clock in the morning and I was just listening to the radio and they were asking for caller stories so I called in and I was like I got locked out of my house on my wedding day and they were like you're live and I'm like oh my gosh like people on the radio were talking to me this is insane like everyone can hear me and some of my friends were listening to the radio and they heard my story and they knew it was me because I notoriously got locked out of my house on my wedding day accidentally but for good reason it all worked out in the end to be honest though that's like smaller city energy because your friends literally knew exactly what radio station you were on because they were all listening to it (laughs) there's like four radio stations there's not a lot of options that's why podcasts are the way to go when i drive for a long time it's perfect when i was traveling for work last week i actually got to listen to true crime podcasts on my way down which was fun because I didn't know I was going to be able to because I was driving with another person. But they put in their headphones, so I was able to listen to my true crime podcast, and it was a very happy moment for me. Wait a second. Do they drive with their headphones? No, no, I was driving. Okay, I was like, that's serial killer shit. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't let them do that. But anyways, let's get back into the podcast. Where are we going this week? Okay, so we are going to Nagoya, Japan. My story isn't exactly in Nagoya. I will preference that, but there's a reason for it. But I'll get to mine later. You should go first. So this week, I'm going to be covering the case of Ray Isagai. Ray was walking down a dark street around 10 p.m. in Chikyuase, Nagoya on August 27, 2007. She's a 31-year-old female, and from the pictures that I've seen of her, she seems like fairly petite, maybe not in height. You can't really tell how tall someone is in photos sometimes, but definitely in like structure. Like her features were very tiny. Um, you know, skinny, small shoulders, small frame sort of deal. And I read from some sources that she was heading back from her shift as an office clerk. And I've also read that she was just walking down the street to get home, but that detail doesn't really matter. All that matters is that it was dark, it was isolated, and three men in a truck had been driving around since 7 p.m. looking for a victim to rob and murder. Yeah, I would say that part is pretty important. So in this van is Kenji Kawashishi. He's a 40-year-old jobless man living out of his van, and he's sort of like the ringleader of it all. Approximately seven days before the crime, Kenji posts a message on a cell phone website or a dark web website seeking partners in crime to exchange for some shady information. The second man, Yoshimoto Hori, he's a 32-year-old unemployed darts player that has about 4 million yen in debt, which is about 37,500 US dollars. And the third man is Skasa Kanda. This group of guys had a really busy week. Originally, there was a fourth member of this quote-unquote team named Yua Churo Hondo, a 20-year-old jobless man who had difficulty paying his own rent. So basically, all these men have one thing in common, and that's that they have issues with money. They either are jobless or have a ton of debt, or they just need money so they can get by. So I figured that we would start at the original posting and then go to the night of August 24th when the robbing of Ray happened. So on August 17th, Kenji posts on a website that he's looking for teammates to accompany him on these robberies. The four men see the ad and decide to meet face-to-face on August 21st 
to discuss the easiest way for them to make money. It was suggested by Yoshimoto Hori that they rob a wealthy, like, arcade player. I think the original term is pachinko. Pachinko? Have you heard anything about that? Mm-mm. I mean, arcades, so like arcades in certain Asian countries are very popular. Like, people will go mm-hmm. there and like, like I've seen that there's guys that will do dance offs for like you know like the just dance where you like the squares yeah. on the like they go hard <laughs> like they're like champions <laughs> for it so I think that's what it means okay yeah so he was wealthy by doing this everyone in the group agreed that that was a successful plan so with this first robbery I'm not sure if they were successful but I'm just assuming that they were or they're not afraid to try again because on the night of August 23rd, Yuichiro Hondo and Kenji Kawagashi broke into a plumber's office when Kenji, the main guy, ran away in fright, leaving Yuichiro behind. During the robbery, he wasn't able to get enough money to get home, so he surrendered to the police and was arrested for trespassing and attempted theft. So that's why the fourth guy isn't there anymore because he got arrested. The next day, August 24th, the remaining three met again at a parking lot at a video rental shop in Nagoya to make their next move. These men go from, oh, let's rob someone the easy way to, well, the easiest way is to find a woman, robber, kidnap her, and then kill her so we can have a robbery that's completely undetected. They really went. Why they had to go that hard? It's like, bro, that's not it. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, so like, regardless of what we think, all the boys that were there said that that was a great plan and started looking for a victim around 7 p.m. that night. And then nothing happens. Three hours pass until Rei came walking along on her way home. Yoshimoto Hori gets out of his van. He approaches Rei pretending to be asking for directions. And then he forces her into the van, which, as we know, is like a huge common tactic of like a man asking a woman, hey... I need some help. They just like really play into like the politeness of people. You know what I mean? Yes. And politeness is really important in Japan. So that's really taking advantage of the culture. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess I didn't think of that. Yeah. I mean, like obviously in America, we're we're also trained to be super polite, but in Japan, it's even more so. Yeah. Because like they really respect their elders. So the fact that she was so young and he was an older gentleman would mean that she would feel obligated to fully be polite and be attentive. And I'm sure that kind of contributes to a lot of situations because of that. Oh, yeah. Ted Bundy, I mean, he was always like, oh, my car broke down. Can you help me? Or, I mean, he had so many different tactics that he used on women. It's just it's just a tactic, you know? And this is why my parents worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so Kanda and Hori, they put handcuffs on her. They threaten her with a knife, and they demand all of her money and all of her ATM cards, while Kenji Kawashishi drove the van to an isolated parking lot. Once they got to this parking lot, Ray was asked her PIN numbers to all of her ATM cards. Just after midnight, Kenji attempts to rape Ray, but the two other men try to stop him. Because she is so frightened by this, I mean, obviously... She's getting abducted, she's getting kidnapped, and now one of the guys is trying to rape her. She tries to bolt out of the van, and that's when the three men decide that they are going to kill her. Around 1am, Kanda wraps 
packing tape around her head to try to smother her. When the men realize that she's still alive, Kanda bludgeons her head with a hammer about 30 times while the two other men try to choke her with a rope. That's a lot. Which is... That's a lot. A lot. That's a lot. So, unfortunately, after she passes away, the three men decide to dump her body around 4 a.m., and they try to withdraw money from her bank account at an ATM around 8 a.m., only to find that she had given the boys the wrong pin. Ooh, a queen. (laughs) Take them out with you, girl. (laughs) The only thing that they could get was the money that she had in her purse, which was 62,000 yen, so about 579 U.S. dollars. And they parted ways, and they decided that they were going to try again and murder another woman that night uh, randomly in Nagoya. On August 25th, the main guy, Kinji Kawashishi, calls the police around 1 p.m. So the day that they they kill... um, Oh, well, the morning after they kill Ray, Kinji decides to call the police. Um, or he surrenders because he's feared that he's going to be receiving capital punishment. The Japanese Penal Code provides that punishment shall be exonerated if a criminal surrenders before being identified as a suspect by the authorities. So in Japanese law, if you confess to your crimes, you aren't going to be um, placed into capital, or you're not going to be able to be punished by capital punishment. But if the police identify you as a suspect, they can try you for capital punishment. Once the police found Ray's body abandoned, and as described, they arrest the three men the next day. Ray's mother and only family member had to identify her body the same day that they were arrested. It's really sad. It is super sad. Not only is it your mother, like, you don't want to ever have to bury your children. But it's also her only family member. So you know that they were close. For sure. And you also know that they literally did the most to kill her. So it was not a... um... Easy job identifying that body. Yeah, I I imagine that, I mean, it was probably pretty brutal. So now the men are arrested, and they're off to trial, which is going to piss you off. At the District Court of Nagoya on September 25th, 2008, the men admitted to robbing and murdering Ray at their first session. Their defense attorneys still argued that these men shouldn't get capital punishment because, and I'm quoting from Wikipedia, The crimes were carried out in an atmosphere that disabled the bluffing men from saying no to each other. Whatever atrocious act might be proposed, and because Ray's death was accidental and could not be said to be so vicious as to result in capital punishment, given the sentence handed down in similar cases in the past. I swear, all men do is give excuses. (laughs) Seriously, like, I understand that you have to protect your client. Like, I get that. But these men, or we can look back into the past when they were talking about killing someone and covering it up. 
in the parking lot of the rental video. I mean, they literally have the receipts from online. They have the receipts. They're like basically just saying it's bro culture where they're like trying to outdo each other. The defendants continued to argue with each other through the entire trial. It ended up being a bunch of like pointed fingers on who was going to be the principal corporate. So like the guy that really drove the killing of Ray. And also, they were arguing about when they decided to kill someone. Was it in the parking lot at the rental or was it actually when Ray ran away and they were like, oh, like we actually have to do something now. So Yoshimoto Hori claimed that the other guys led the crime and that he had not thought of actually killing the victim until Kanda suggested it. And then Kanda said that everybody on the team decided to murder while they were making the plot up. But it wasn't serious until Kenji Itawashishi attempted to rape her. So, like, they really are just pointing fingers at each other. Like, oh, well, he, I did it because he said, and then I did it because he raped her. Or it, it's just, like, a complete mess. And to make matters worse, Kanda actually made fun of Ray on a blog that he was making online during the trial. And... This blog claimed to be the real story about what had happened during the crime. So he was just giving like his perspective, quote unquote. And then Kinji Kawashishi, the main ringleader, just was like, oh, she was just unlucky. Yeah, you had no part in it. You're right. If only I was unlucky. <laughs> right. We didn't look for three hours for a victim. So obviously... At this point, you're getting fired up. I'm getting fired up. So you can expect the victim's mother is also very upset. And she says that their words are unbearable. And she's also quoted by saying, it might be better than the superficial apologies. So on January 20th, 2009, prosecutors demanded capital punishment for all the men in the closing arguments. They specifically insisted that the court sentence Kinji Kawashishi to death despite the volunteer surrender, stating that the police would have been able to arrest all three men without his surrender. So they'd be able to find all the evidence. They'd be able to figure out what was happening, you know, because of the online articles and things like that, um, without his help. So in March 2009, they were all found guilty they sentenced Kanda and Hori to death, but determined that Kinji, Kawashishi, the guy that originally surrendered, wasn't going to be facing capital punishment. The judge is quoted by saying in a beautiful article written by Wikipedia that the motives of the crime left no room for lin 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 <laughs> lin how the fuck do you say that word? Leniency. 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 And that capital punishment was the only option, even after considering that there was only one victim because their criminal acts were incredibly merciless and heinous um, and deemed to be a serious threat to society. Kinji Kawashishi received a life sentence because the court judged that he had provided the police with useful information and evidence that led to the arrest of Kanda and Hori. So obviously, the victim's mother and boyfriend were very saddened by this judgment, as they even had an online petition in hopes of swaying back in 2007. So in September, 
within 10 days of them like posting the petition online she had over a hundred thousand signatures in support of him getting capital punishment on october 23rd 2007 she presented the petition for the death penalty with 150 signatures sorry 150,000 signatures and by december 2008 there was 318 signatures so that's like a lot of people that are backing capital punishment and on top of that the fathers of kinji kawashishi and skasa kanda asked the court to sentence their sons to death oh oh okay and on this fine father's day <laughs> so on april 13 2001 the nagoya high court they affirmed kinji's kawashishi life sentence and reduced yoshimoto's death sentence to life ruling that they were both less responsible than Kanda. The prosecution appealed the ruling to the Supreme Court, which affirmed the two life sentences, but Hori was later sentenced to death for killing a married couple in 1998. Mm. So to wrap all of this story up, two men are still in life sentences, and Kanda, the man that they felt was kind of the main guy, was executed by hanging on June 25th, 2015, and that's why my parents worry about me. Damn, they still doing hanging in Japan? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> a great question. I can, I can look it up if you'd like. Honestly, I, I just don't know. And I mean, part of this podcast is not judging countries or, like, making any kind of political decisions on what they mm-hmm. choose to do. So that's not what my question's about. I'm just generally curious. Um, yes. So according to Wikipedia, capital punishment is a legal penalty in Japan. It is applied in practice only for murder, and the executions are carried out by hanging. The death penalty is usually reserved for cases of multiple murder, though some single murderers, so like our case, have been executed in extra norm- extraordinary cases like torture, murder, or kidnap for ransom. Okay. It's interesting what they choose to um, specify for the single murderers because when I think of that murder, it's really sad and really gruesome and I feel really bad for Ray, but at the same time, I wouldn't automatically assume capital punishment for it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like for Ted Bundy, yeah, capital punishment, I get it. Like why people argued for it. But for a single murder, it's interesting to me that they were like, nah, you need to do it. Yeah, that's, I think, why the judge was like, we're just going to give these guys life sentences. Because according to our law, at least the law that I understand, I'm not like a Japanese law um, expert in any way. You didn't go to school for that? I didn't even go. Yeah, I took one political science class. <laughs> it's because I had to. The judge. The judge. Yeah, the judge was just doing what the judge is supposed to do. That's a really interesting story, though. That's a good story. Good job. Are you ready for my story? I'm very excited. There's so much interesting stuff. I'm ready for your story, Mana. All right. So let's talk about my story. Even though... We're supposed to be set in Nagoya, Japan. I did choose a different city. I really wanted to do folklore and something new because we've had so many 
murders and I've already done paranormal so I wanted to do folklore and so it took me to Kyoto Japan which is probably like the nearest biggest city to Nagoya so I did stay in the area so don't get mad at me I really did try and this folklore is all over Japan so it still it does still do with Nagoya so I wanted to talk about yokai today and if you don't know what yokai are they are Supernatural monsters, spirits, and demons from Japanese folklore. So they're very popular. They're very famous in Japan, and everyone knows the history and culture of them. So yokai can be very diverse. They can look like an inanimate object, or they cannot have a shape. They sometimes have faces. They sometimes don't. They can be animal-like shapeshifters. They're really interesting because um, all the art I found of them online, they look so different and so there's so many different kinds of yokai it's even hard to explain all of them and they are known for having spiritual and supernatural qualities and because of that they can sometimes harm humans sometimes they just are there and the japanese are known to have built shrines and temples dedicated to them to like help appease them so yokai first appeared like hundreds of thousands of years ago but it wasn't until the edo period in 1603 to 1868 where it was called the golden age of storytelling and so a lot more yokai stories were spread around japan and more people could talk about it because the stories would be printed on wooden blocks or or like put in puppet shows so a lot of people were able to share the literature the art behind yokai it was really interesting um one of the most well-known folklorists is known as toriyama seiken who was born between 1712 and lived until 1788 because he traveled around Japan with a collection of stories. He cataloged each yokai and with each yokai he had a story and an image to go along with it. So he was an important part of the culture. It was almost lost during the Meiji period of 1868 to 1912 because it was a difficult time for storytelling back then. So storytelling was almost eradicated there was an academic effort to abandon these old folklores because the people during this time period were saying that it didn't make sense in science and logic. But we know that these stories aren't really supposed to make sense in science and logic. They're supposed to be culture and history. They have an importance of just moving through history with its people. And that's all that really matters. But so the yokai stories were almost ended because of that. And then in World War II, it was even more lost because, as you can imagine, the Japanese had their hands full more of just storytelling because it was World War II. So it was only really told in remote populations. So it was almost lost. It wasn't until the really the 20th century, like after World War II, that yokai storytelling came back when um, Yanagita Kuna, a scholar, began to support yokai and started to share the stories again because he felt that they were not meaningless superstitions. So he decided to start collecting stories, narratives, art on them, and chose to study the different regions in Japan where yokai existed. Manga, you know, um, everyone knows what manga is. It became more popular in pop culture, so it helped keep the history alive. So I wanted to highlight some of my favorite types of yokai. 
Um, like I said, there are hundreds of them. So I just wanted to pick out my favorites. <laughs> so I'm going to describe a couple of them and um, they're kind of interesting. So you can kind of get an idea of what a yokai is. So there's this one called the Kappa, which is a river monster that is, it takes after the Japanese giant salamander and it's known for drowning humans. And because of that, it causes a lot of trouble. But people say it comes from the stories of kids who, like, parents would tell their kids, don't swim alone or the kappa would get you. So it's, like, a cute way to stop kids. Uh, I said cute, but also it's drowning them, so. (laughs) It ain't that cute. (laughs) Yeah, no. It's a Um, giant salamander waiting for you at the bottom of, like, a freaking river. If you find pictures, they have, like, hair, which I think is funny. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, and I also think it's really cute because I actually like cucumbers. So people would like throw cucumbers into the, like the river. I think it's really adorable. Oh, is that like to appease them? Yeah. Cause they like, them. and also they like watching sumo wrestling matches. I don't know where they watch that. I don't think they have like a little TV underwater, but that's what I'm picturing in my head. <laughs> Another interesting one was known as the Yanari, which is also kind of like a house squeaker. So, have you ever, like, woken up in the middle of the night to, like, a random noise or, like, a bump in the night? Yeah, every night. Every night. My house is, like, 50 years old. So, according to Japanese folklore, that is the Yanari because they're known for just, like, walking around making noise and making destruction randomly at night. They're just, like, banging on furniture and objects. They bring no harm. They just want to bother you. (laughs) They just want to mess up your night's sleep. (laughs) Exactly, and freak you out a little bit. So this one makes me laugh so hard because I'm a child. And every time I read it, it makes me laugh. <laughs> like, sorry, I'll try to control myself. I'm, I'm literally a five-year-old. Um, so this one called the Shirime is literally translated to but I. <laughs> its only purpose is to scare people with its but I. And it's exactly as it sounds. <laughs> So this yokai would, so what it does is as travelers are traveling late at night, this yokai will come up to them and ask them a question. And before the traveler answers, the yokai will drop their kimono, flash them by spreading their butt cheeks and revealing this like flashlight looking eye at the travelers. Oh my God. (laughs) It's really funny to me. Um, It's literally unharmful though. I can see the visual. The visual. Oh, the pictures are very funny. (laughs) Um, It's not harmful at all. It just wants to show you its butt eye, so don't bother him. (laughs) But that, like, just shows how creative some of these um, yokai are. And, like I said, not all of them are harmful to women. Or What? I mean, as a woman, I just feel a special connection. (laughs) Not harmful to people in general. Sorry. <laughs> but then sometimes it can get kind of scary. Like there's this one called the Keikai, which is literally a blood clot. So it comes out of pregnant women and can be born instead of a human baby. But instead of looking like a baby, it looks like a tiny cattle. It's hairy oh. and has like horns. And it's like covered because it came out of the woman. It's like covered in amniotic fluid and blood. And it's just like trying to scurry away. It makes you not want to have kids, huh? Yeah. Nasty. The birth control is key right now. <laughs> key to stop this little cattle, hairy cattle thing. Because apparently if it escapes from the pregnant woman's house, 
the woman mm-hmm. will die because it will come back to kill her later and tear her apart. Like, why Why does it just randomly happen? It does not randomly happen. These these stories are so extensive. I do a whole, like, podcast on yokai. There's so mm-hmm. many. The stories are so long. Um, I don't remember why it happens, to be honest. I just know that tear you apart. <laughs> I was just wondering, because usually with stories like this, you see, like, because you do this, this will happen to you. It's kind of like a teaching lesson, or at least it seems like it's, like, to try to make people not do certain things by teaching it and kind of scaring you into not doing, I don't know, something while you're pregnant. Let me look it up. You add the music. <laughs> Cue the music. Do-do. <laughs> I don't remember what it sounds like. I gotta find it in my media player. Okay, and the music. So actually, I figured out that Kikai do this because they want to show the complications of childbirth. So the reason is just showing that childbirth can be dangerous, it can be hard, you know. And continuing on, I have a couple more yokai that I want to talk about and highlight because, I don't know, they're just, like, really fun, interesting stories. So sometimes yokai are just hands, uh, like, just, like, a disembodied hand. So there's this one called the akateko, which is a red child's hand. And it reminds me of Denver childhood, like when you had the sticky hand and you'd like yes. to whip it around the room and stick it on things. Yeah. It would get dirty in like 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's literally what this hand looks like. And it comes out of like a Japanese tree and in front of elementary schools and just waves at children and like surprises people, but they're not really harmful. They're just like there. Oh, that's good. I kind of thought it would, like, reach down and grab a child with its sticky hand. Yeah, oh my god, and they, like, pulls it up. (laughs) (laughs) But that noise really makes it even better, thank you. That noise has to come out of the tree. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It warns you. (laughs) So there's this other hand I wanted to talk about called the korote, because it freaks me out so much. Um, so the story has it that one day a samurai's, a samurai's wife went to the bathroom and a black hairy hand came up out of the toilet and gripped her behind, (laughs) which scares the shit out of me because (gasps) imagine doing, you're sitting on the toilet doing your business and something comes up and grabs you. (laughs) Oh, I'm done. (laughs) What if he just like gently taps your butt? Like. Oh, like a high five it's like nice nice butt dude it's more of like a hype man than <laughs> I see you've been doing your squats yes I've been doing you've been doing your squats good job girl yeah so that one freaks me out a lot um the samurai ended up cutting up its hand because he was like don't touch my wife like that <laughs> yeah there's cases of uh like in Florida I can't tell you a specific case but there's cases of like snakes coming up your toilet bowls and like chilling in the toilet and then you open the toilet lid and you see like a giant snake or like a snake that's definitely not supposed to be in your toilet. I think about that more than I should as someone that doesn't live anywhere near Florida. So oh my God. no. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the real life black hand. Oh, yeah. When I was a child, I actually... <laughs> so, I, when I was a child, when I was in, like, third grade, I watched the original It, which um, 
My mom just had it on the TV, and I was just watching it. I was kind of too young to watch it, to be honest. It might have been, like, Mm -hmm. second grade. So I might have been, like, eight, nine. Um, Yeah. And I remember that the clown comes out of the drain in the bathtub. But for some reason, my brain always was like, what if it came out of my toilet and attacked (laughs) me on the toilet? I mean, he lives in the sewer. Why couldn't he come up the toilet? Exactly. It goes back to like a fear of like, you know, I like the fear of being found like dead in in the shower, like naked. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's terrifying to me. Nobody wants to see me. (laughs) No. It's so scary. All these movies play into in the ring. (gasps) No. (laughs) Where like they're like trying to wash their hair and like they keep grabbing it and there's like a hand or something that comes out. I mean, literally every scary movie has one of these scenes. They know they know what their people want. So I the last one I want to talk about is the Maneki Nako. And I want to talk about this one because me and Taylor both have cats. And so I wanted to do one for our homegirls. So the Maneki Nako... Um, is actually known for bringing good luck and fortune to people. So that's why they become really popular and are really well-known in popular culture. Um, but they have a really interesting legend behind them, so that's why I wanted to talk about them. So the original Mineki Neko came from a courtesan named Usugume. She was a lover of cats, and her toita- she always had her tortoise shell cat with her everywhere she went. So she and this cat were, like, attached to the hip. Everyone around the city knew about it. But one day when she was going to the bathroom, her cat started to act really funny and started, like, kind of clawing at her and was being weird. So the brothel owner saw this happening and started freaking out, thinking the cat was attacking her. And in response, he slashed the cat's head off. Oh, my God. Zero to 100. (laughs) Really? So the cat's head flew off, and as the cat... As the head flew, it flew across the room and bit into a large venomous snake that was hiding behind a part of the bathroom, saving both Usugume's life and the brothel owner's life. Wow. Obviously, Usugume was grief-stricken. She was very sad. And because the brothel owner felt so terrible about what happened, he dedicated a statue to the cat, and that's why it became the Maneki Neko, so... It's a really popular figure now, and if I didn't state this before, yokai are known to be, like, spirits from previous people or previous animals, so that's why it has the spirit of the yokai now. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, really, it's really just, I don't know, these stories are just so interesting to me. Um, now, like I said, there are so many yokai, and a really good website, if you wanted to look up images or stories, they have a random generator, is a website called yokai.com it was created by matthew meyer he did an amazing job at creating an extensive list of all the yokai in japanese folklore so i really recommend him okay so this brings me to a street in kyoto known as yokai street this street is a tight commercial street better well known as ichidori which is located near the taishogun shrine in kyoto the Shrine was built to ward off evil, and the street is so important because it's known as the boundary line between the spirit world and the human world. So at one time, it was a 
place for yokai, but now they celebrate the yokai there. Some history of the street. So Kyoto used to originally be called Kyoto Makai, and Makai translated in English is just world of spirits. So this occurred during the Koho period in Japan where residents were known to kind of do like a spring cleaning and they would leave all their old antiques, old objects outside and just in the street. And then it's known that the yokai antiques were got angry to be left behind and became yokai wanting to revenge. So they wanted to wreak havoc on the people that had abandoned them. These kind of yokai are typically known as the sukumogami, which is the yokai of inanimate, which is the yokai of inanimate objects. So what is the myth behind the street? So the Hiyaki Yago is a yokai parade. So on the street where all the antiques were left, they would uh, the night of her, the night parade of a hundred demons would occur, and it's like a festival. So a hundred yokai demons would refer, including the sukumogami, the oni, which is like ogres, and then ghosts. And essentially, they would just walk down the streets of this area of Kyoto Mekai, and people weren't, like, allowed to go outside. They would just kind of parade through the streets. If people went outside or looked through their windows at the spirits, they would be killed or spirited away because they would be facing a divine punishment. So they just had to stay inside and wait for the yokai to kind of do their business. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. Um, and then if you did see them or like something happened, you could, you could recite like a protection spell to help yourself. So they knew what day this would occur according to the Chinese Zodiac. So it's, there's a lot of history to it. Modern day Yokai Street is not that scary and it's actually pretty normal. Um, I've actually been to Kyoto and I walked past Yokai Street, but I never went down it. Um, Kyoto is beautiful. Definitely recommend it. There's so much to see in Kyoto. You can't, there's so much to see in Japan in general, like anywhere else. So it's hard to see everything, but this is a good place to go if you're a tourist and you want to see something new. So more on the yokai street, the shop owners have adopted the rumors behind all the yokai and are known to dress up as yokai and have sculptures outside of their stores as different yokai. And it's really, it's really cute and kind of interesting to me. Because, like, there's this one bakery down that street, and the bakery has a statue of a bread yokai out front. It's almost like a mascot. <laughs> That's so cute that they kind of just embrace the history. It's, like, what they're famous for now, because since they're, it's all small businesses, and they sell, like, really rare goods that you can only find on this street. So it's, they really adopted it. They even, like, made food to go with yokai street. So they have this special noodle dish where the noodles are purple and the soup broth is black. It's supposedly really yummy. So they make it with squid ink and the seeds of gardenia to do the dyeing. But it's supposed to be like the dark of the night and the ghosts are purple. So it's supposed to like represent the yokai. I don't know, would you eat it or would it freak you out so much? Well, so there's like this running joke on the internet right now that like people that love purple, like their whole life is purple. And then people that love other colors, it's just like, oh, I like that color. I do really like the color purple, so I probably would try the purple noodles because I just think it's like kind of spooky and cool that they're celebrating that part of their heritage and culture. So yeah, I would totally try it for sure. I mean, I don't know, it sounds yummy to me. The really interesting and very touristy uh, event that always occurs is on the third week of October, very close to Halloween, the Hiyaki Yakyo continues on, but only instead of having the yokai do the parade, it's P 
people who dress up in costumes and characters and the images online are amazing. Um, maybe I'll try to find some and post them because they look so realistic. It's so realistic that it's not unusual for children to like scream in the street <laughs> being like being thinking it's the real yokai. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, really that's interesting. So cool. I love this. <laughs> I love spooky things and like it's like a parade for ghouls. Like exactly. I love it. I like modern interpretations of old history and stories because it's like it continues. It's nice to see things be passed on through generations, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially since it originated as like a spoken word by a storyteller and even if it's not like someone's profession to be just a storyteller anymore it's cool that they're you know keeping the word of the word of the original storyteller exactly exactly because like even students in the area will help promote it like it's a community effort and Mm -hmm. they do their best the costumes online you have to see them they're crazy good (laughs) we'll have to post them on our instagram i have never halloween i have never looked that good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah that's the story of the yokai street or ichidori and kyoto japan and yokai why my parents worry about me wow i love that i love everything about that i'm so glad that you covered that i almost feel like wholesome <laughs> compared to like other things we've talked about i know that they can harm humans and hands come out of toilets but it seems a little <laughs> bit more wholesome to me <laughs> yeah i think it's a good because mine was so heavy, I think it's a good way to end, you know, a little bit more lighthearted. I agree. And it's so nice to finally do a folklore. Sometimes it's hard to find them in, like, certain places. Uh, so is that why your parents are so proud of you this week? Um, I'm going to have to say no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my parents are proud of me this week because I'm moving out of my apartment soon and getting ready to move again and I'm very excited about it I don't know my, I get to see my parents again so they're very excited I'm gonna wait for a while what about you Netflix discontinued Mad Men um, they stopped you were watching I know that. well so <laughs> I was did watching you finish it. it I did I finished it the day oh, okay. that they cool, took cool. it off um and so I'm super proud of it my dad watched it before I did um, and then my husband watched it and they were both like, you're going to love it. You got to try it. Like, just watch it. And the first like four or five episodes, I was like, I hate the sexism. Like, this is too much for me. But I think they did a really good job depicting kind of like the history of that part mixed with like the lives of these, you know, fictional characters. I ended up being kind of obsessed with the show and was kind of sad when it ended. But yeah, like... I think my parents are proud that I was able to watch that many hours of television in such little time. It it helped me through quarantine. Like that was what I did during quarantine during my downtime. So you survived. Yeah, and I feel like it was a good a good closing a closing chapter for me because we finished, you know, the series and then now my little part of the United States are slowly opening you know stores up and things are starting to feel a little bit more normal even though we all know that it's not completely done 
So that's why my parents are proud of me this week. I think we're going to wrap it up for today's episode. Thank you for all the support that we've been getting. It's been nothing short of awesome. We were recently accepted into Apple Podcasts, which is really exciting. If you've been enjoying our podcast, feel free to rate and subscribe us on the Apple Podcast app. It really will help us a ton, and we love hearing your guys' feedback. Um, We've had a couple people share their Why My Parents Are Proud of Me moment, so if you wanted to be featured on an episode, just shoot us an email at whymyparentsworryaboutme at gmail.com, or you can reach us on our Instagram account, which is whymyparentsworryaboutme, and that's this week's episode. (laughs) Thanks for being here. (laughs) I hate how I can get at the end. (laughs) I know. We're never going to get it. We're never going to be able to figure out how to close this. We're just going to try a million things and you guys are just going to deal with it. So It's going to change every week. There will be no consistencies. (laughs) Nope, there never is. (laughs) God, I can't wait to take a nap. All right, all right, ready? (laughs) One, two, three. Bye. Goodbye.